0: All here today, and welcome to the house of God here at Christian Outreach Center here in Charters Towers. And to those joining our uh, family on our podcast service, is our prayer and uh, to each and every person here today that your walk with God will be greatly encouraged by this ministry. That is their only aim that you be encouraged in your own personal walk with God as we walk together. And last weekend, we were all immensely blessed, as Priscilla already mentioned. Uh, And I think you would all agree with the salt of the earth weekend, and uh, probably the most sincere and heart-moving ministry of Pastor Trevor and Roxanne Cole. It was an absolute blessing to us, Uh, challenging every hearer, challenging every heart. And I could hear the plea uh, from the heart of God to the heart of man, how God yearns for a relationship that is unimpeded by anything else that the world has to offer. Many things distract us. Many things take us away from the things of God. But reflecting on our own walk with God, many last week, I sense, were just so deeply moved, so deeply moved. And at the altar core on Sunday morning, grown men, I see the, the presence of God all around them, and, uh, and it was wonderful to see. Uh, in the midweek meeting, I continued along in a similar vein, and I will continue this morning, but in, uh, in Exodus 25.1... So we're in the, in the book of the beginnings, really, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, the first five books of Moses. But in Exodus 25, we said, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, in verse 2, speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering. And it went on to talk about those types of offerings. And in verse 8, it says, and let them make me a century. Why, you may ask? And it says that I may dwell among them. So focused we are on the building of the sanctuary, we forget that it is all to facilitate that God wants to be amongst us. Amen? And God gave Moses the detailed instructions on how to build a sanctuary. And they carried this sanctuary in the, in the wilderness wanderings for 40 years in the desert. And later on it was set up at Shiloh and it was often called the tent of meeting because that is the place where god met and dwelt amongst the people it was so named because that was the place where god would meet or cohabitate with the people in this tent god dwelt in the midst of the people as they camped around in the wilderness with all their tents and the, the layout of the of the tent of meeting was also duplicated this construction that was a portable thing that they carried around was duplicated in exact proportions in Solomon's temple so, much, so many years later. And so in this, uh, in this uh, tent of meeting, you can see in this diagram that outside here we have a perimeter of linen cloth. And, uh, and outside here was the brazen altar and the wash basin, The brazen altar here is really significant because it represents the cross. On the brazen altar were sacrifices and blood is shed because it provided a protocol or process by which the people could enter into the very, very presence of God. The bronze uh, wash basin here was a big bronze bath, you might say, and the priest would wash in there and represented it in the, in, the, in the book of Ephesians in chapter 5, 23, with the washing of the world water by the word. And so they entered into this tent and it was divided into two thirds being in the holy place and the last third being the most holy place. So there's three sections here. You have the outer court, the inner court and what you would call the holy of holies. Separated here between the holy place and the holy of holies is a veil between that area. And there was three, uh, uh, three items of furniture in the holy place. And there we had the golden menorah, the seven-candle stick uh, light in the tent. On the other side was the table of showbread. It was about four or five foot long, 450 millimetres wide, stood about this high. And on it were the 12 loaves of bread, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Directly in front of this veil here, there was what they would call the altar of incense, far larger in this picture than it actually was, because it was only about this big, 450 mil by 450 mil, standing about 1,300, maybe 1,400 millimetres high. And so it was, and, and there was burnt incense. The Bible tells us that incense is as prayer in heaven, And prayer in heaven is is as incense here on earth. It's the totally opposite. And so beyond the veil, and this is what we've been singing about or worshipping this morning, is this holy of holies, the holy place. And the Ark of the Covenant here, directly behind the veil, with two golden angels facing one another, the Ark of the the Box, uh, made famous by Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and, uh, but it was, um, uh, was about 1,400 millimetres long and about 750 millimetres wide, standing about so 750, 800 millimetres high. Inside that box, that golden box made of timber but totally covered with gold, was the, the Ten Commandments. They In time they put a pot of manna, which was the manna that fell from heaven and fed them for 40 years in the wilderness. There was also the staff that Aaron, that uh, the staff that battered, budded, which was Aaron's staff. And in time, the books of the Torah, written by Moses, that as I said before, the Torah is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, which we find in the beginning of our Old Testament, they were placed in a drawer in the side of the ark. And uh, all that, so to speak, Because it says in Exodus 25, the Lord said that I wanted to dwell amongst them. In in another place, it says, because I want to speak to them and I want to talk with them. You see, the Lord is all about relationship. This whole thing, the intricacies of all the things that were inside the tabernacle, they were all set up to provide a scaffolding or to facilitate a relationship. It wasn't to form a new religion, but a new relationship. God wants to have a relationship with you. Amen? Amen. It's a real life relationship. In fact, it's not just to be a superficial relationship, but an intimate relationship. And, uh, and so we see representing really the tenter meeting or the sacrificial system and Solomon's temple, we can see that there is a progressive relationship that we can walk in, taking us from the earthly realm into the spiritual realm. Often when we come in here on a Sunday morning, we've got a lot of the earth hanging off us. We've just had an argument with the missus. The car wouldn't start, the children are playing up, and the things of life going on. And we think, how can I enter into this deep relationship with God when all this stuff of the earth is hanging off me? Perhaps I've got pressures at work, financial pressures, health issues, and all these sorts of things. But in the midst of that, God wants to be in the midst of your life. And he yearns for this deep relationship. Psalm 104 verse 4 says, Enter into his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. So we enter into this presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And so praise then gives way to worship in the holy place. And then worship gives way to glory in the most holy place. Where does God want us to live? In what realm? He wants us to live in the glory realm. As the air is the atmosphere of the earth, so glory is the atmosphere of heaven. And for us to be in the glory, to reside in the glory, is how Adam and Eve in the initial days before sin entered the earth, they lived in the glory. They lived in the glory. That glory was lost. Paradise lost is the story of the Garden of Eden. And so we can see in this here that it talks about our progressive relationship with God. We can talk about body, soul, and spirit. True worshippers will worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. That's what Jesus said at John 4, 24. And so we can see body, soul, and spirit, praise, worship, glory. And uh, in the outer court, as you are approaching God we can see our focus is basically all upon ourselves. All of me and none of him. Who's ever approached God like that? At some stage, we have to involve God in the process. And we think all of me, and it's what's in it for me. And it's a what's in it for me generation. That's how we're raised these days, isn't it? It's all about you. It's the year of you. And uh, I need some me time, Pastor Trevor was talking about. But in this... uh, in this zone, in the holy place, it's some of me and some of God. But when you come in by invitation, when the and when you go beyond the veil, it's none of me and all of God. In your prayer life, that's what it should be all about. We don't bring God a shopping list like we talk to Santa Claus. Amen? God is not like that. He says, bring your needs. He says, I know your needs. He says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. But there is a life, a spiritual life beyond just meeting needs. And God wants this deep, intimate, not just a relationship, he wants an intimate relationship with us. And so we can see even the way that we conduct a service, it takes us from the worldly into the deeply spiritual. That's true, isn't it? And a good worship service, like we just experienced, does exactly that. It takes us from our everyday stuff into the throne of his presence. That's where we should be. That's where we want to be. That's where actually we want to live our life. And you'll see a message, a communion message. You'll see it takes us from the peripheral. It takes us to the superficial, to the depths. My message this morning should take us from the outer court into the holy of holies. All services should be conducted like that. But very few are, amen? Very few are. Very few are. And so, but this beautiful book, this beautiful book here is about a king and his kingdom. Beautiful book. It contains, they say it contains, it's a book of books. Inside here are 66 separate books. 66. 66. 39 in the old testament 27 in the new but these are 66 love letters that's what they are it is a love letter and each book is unique it's written by some 40 authors over a period of we know about 1500 years 1500 years but they were all inspired by the same holy spirit So the author of the Bible is the Holy Spirit working through ordinary people just like you and I. And it's important when you read these love letters that the author, that is the Holy Spirit, be present when you read the book. So when you open up the Bible, if it means nothing to you, generally it's because the Holy Spirit is not involved. But if you open up your heart to God and you say, Holy Spirit, breathe upon your word and it will come to life. And it will be spirit and it will be life and it will feed you like uh, nutrition, like you have your breakfast every morning. The word of God will feed you. And uh, for the Spirit's motive for writing these letters was to impart the love of the Father to you, his loved creation. You see, that is the motive. You say, well, why did God go to all this trouble to have this book? It was to impart the love of God to his creation. And if you read it, you say, Father, what do you have for me today? He loves you so dearly, so desperately he loves you. And he wants to speak to you. And when the spirit of God is upon the word of God, it will minister life to you. The story contains in each page a blockbuster film. (laughs) Who's ever seen the movie Ten Commandments? I mean, that just covers such a small portion of the Bible but the whole bible is an epic blockbuster every page is a blockbuster film you can't really contain it hollywood has no hope of ever containing what the bible says dramatic and evoking every emotion within us is the word of god and the stage is set in the book of genesis and and it's a plot so intriguing and leaving nothing to the imagination that's the bible if I was to write a holy book, I'd make sure there's no dirt in it, there's no filth in it, there's no this, there's no that, there's no adultery, those things. that. No, but, but the Bible is a book of life, and it conceals and leaves nothing to the imagination. You, if you can think it, it's in the Bible. And that's why you know it's a holy book, because it's always speaking from the heart of God to, to humanity. And God's heart is the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, amen? And so we need the Holy Ghost to be upon the word of God when we read it, that we would be a recipient of that love of God. We know it's true because nothing is left. It's a warts and all history of humanity laid bare when God reaches down to his creation with his infinite love He is always drawing, he is always beckoning, and the word of God is always trying to woo people to come into a relationship with a loving God. And it is truly, the Lord is a groomsman, always trying to woo the bride, amen? How it must break the heart of God when we respond with indifference. How it must break the heart of God. But what is the climax of this whole story? 66 books. Who likes a great ending to a story? Who likes a great ending to a story? I mean, what about a love story? Oh, yes. I still like a good story, and I like to see a good ending. And uh, as the book of Genesis is a seedbed, and the book of Revelations is the harvest, so the seeds of everything in the earth were put in the book of Genesis. But now the snake... in the the book of Genesis, is now the great dragon in the book of Revelations. Amen? And things manifest themselves entirely in the book of Revelations. So you can see clearly what there are. The book of Revelations is the last chapter or the last book of a love story where the guy gets the girl. That is the book of Revelations. Who's the girl? That's you and I. We are the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ, and the groom is Jesus, and the book of Revelations is an exciting... We say, oh, it's the apocalyptic book, it's this, it's that. No, it's not. It's the end of the story where the guy gets the girl. It's a beautiful romance story, and if we would read it from the heart of God, it's a passionate book. It's a beautiful book, and so who likes a a, a great ending, and so... It's about a king and his bride. That's the story of the Bible, about a king and his kingdom and how they will live happily ever after, not just till death do us part, but for all eternity. How would you like to spend eternity with the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Oh, amen? Wouldn't you like that? That's what we're in for. Hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, Hebrews ten twenty three. And so we begin to understand that this book is not about religion. He, heck knows the world doesn't need another religion. People sowing fig leaves together to cover their shame and everything else. We don't need another religion. We want a divine relationship. That's what God wants. He said God doesn't like religion. People crawling over stones to try and make themselves better. He carried a cross so you didn't have to do that stuff. Amen? We just receive it. He said, but I, I've done so much wrong. He says, yeah, I know that. And, uh, but the bride is the church. That being the called out ones. That is the meaning of church, Ecclesia in the Greek. And it means the called out ones. You and I have been called out as a lily among the thorns. We've been called out. Not as a rose between two thorn bushes, but we were a lily amongst the thorns. Out of the world, we were plucked out violently snatched out of the devil's hands, the Bible says. But collectively, the church is called the bride of Christ. But there is a book of love, a love letter to us, that as individuals, we are called to respond to the bridegroom's love. You say, oh, well, the church is the bride. But I'd like to take it a little bit further than that. And you can see and understand that a groom cannot kiss two brides at the same time and so you and I respond to the call of God individually. We say, "Oh, that's just for the church. Just God so loved the world that he ga- God so loved the world that He gave his only son. So the cross is for everybody. But where's the personal application in all that? We have to receive this divine love. We need to be a recipient of this beautiful love. It needs to be personalized. And Jesus wants to kiss you individually. He doesn't kiss a crowd. He kisses his bride and you and i need to make a personal response a personal response and so i'd like now to come to one of the most glorious books and it is actually the pinnacle of all writings in all of the bible and it's called the song of songs i'd love if you would go to that book sometimes it's called the song of solomon in the hebrew it is called shir hashirim Shira means song, Hashirim means of songs or the song. And so it is called the Song of Songs. My complete Hebrew Bible words the first verse as the ultimate song by Solomon. And the title of my message this morning is The Ultimate Song. Now it's not a working class man. Now it's not a highway to hell by ACDC. It's none of those songs. It's not even Fernando by ABBA. <laughs> Got a few smiles there. I'm speaking to a generation there. The top 40 of the 70s or the 60s or anything else is not even Elvis. The song of songs to the whole of every generation that's ever walked the earth is the song of Solomon from the Bible here. As Jesus is the King of Kings, and Jesus is the Lord of Lords, so this here is the song of songs. 1 Kings 4.32, and he said, Speaking of Solomon, who wrote this book, he spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. It's very specific. The Bible gives heaps of specifics. A wise archaeologist will follow the specifics and make great findings, biblical findings. And so this is the song of songs. It is the pinnacle of all the songs this book, the Song of Songs in the Hebrew Tradition and by the Hebrew Sages, and they regard this book so I was pleased to see, and it is called The Holy of Holies. Today we've been, called, we've been talking about The Holy of Holies, and I already began my studies on all this sort of thing because I've loved this for since I've been a Christian. I've been looking at this for 30-odd years. It's beautiful. But this book here, the ancient Hebrew text writers call this the holy of holies. And that is where God wants us. He doesn't want us out in the outer court. Some people receive Christ as their Lord and Saviour, and they only know the Lord as a Saviour, and that's as far as their spiritual walk goes. But how much more does God have for each and every one of us as we come into the holy of holies, progressively walking towards and being wooed by Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Bridegroom. Are you being wooed today? Or are you just content in our spiritual walk to be in the outer court? It's a tough question, but it's a real one. It's the love letter that takes us beyond the veil by invitation. You could see this here, this most holy place, as the King's Chamber. And this heavenly marriage betrothal is consummated in this beautiful place. For many, we've come to this poem or song in the midst of the Old Testament, and like the book of Esther, we think, oh, well, the name of God doesn't even appear in the eight chapters of, of this beautiful book called Song of Solomon. The, the name of God doesn't even appear. The word faith doesn't appear in this, nor salvation does it appear in the Song of Solomon's. Why? It's because that person, that bride has gone far beyond just being saved, far beyond just exercising faith to achieve all their things, houses and marriage and all these other things. You see, the intimate relationship with Christ became the first and foremost, the most preeminent, first and foremost in that person's life, in that bridegroom's life. How far short have we sold ourselves off so cheaply? settling just to remain in the outer court when the Lord has so much more for us in that inner chamber. But as your love for Jesus grows, like so many young Christians, we even think, what is this book doing in the Bible? And as a young Christian, you think, oh, well, it's just a love story until you realise it is about you and your relationship with Jesus. You can have a peripheral relationship, Who's had superficial relationships? They're just relationships that you have. You know, they they don't really mean much. If you didn't see that person again, it wouldn't really mean that much to you. You liked their company. You liked a few of their jokes. But but apart from that, it was superficial. We can be superficial with God. But that's not what the Lord wants to settle for because he's done some... Imagine that the creator of the earth wants to have an intimate relationship with you. It reflects on what David had to say. What is man that you were even mindful of him? What are we, that God, the creator of the whole universe, he stands back and says, let there be light, and there it is at 300,000 kilometres a second. He creates the planets, he creates a galaxy, our own galaxy, more than 400,000 stars in it and more than 400,000 galaxies till they invented the next telescope and then the next telescope and everything else was expanded and beyond. But the whole temple complex was built, even by King Solomon, to make place for the Holy of Holies. That's why they had all this temple complex. The bridegroom is Jesus. And in the book of Song of Solomon, or the Song of Songs, the Shulamite woman is not just the church, but it is you and I as individuals responding to the intimate love of Jesus Christ. This is the Holy of Holies relationship at its best. Is there anybody here who would like a more intimate relationship with the Lord? Oh, we'd be crazy not to. We'd be crazy not to. Because the, the blessings that flow from this relationship are immense. For every good and perfect gift comes from above. God's love with his people, with his bride, is within covenant relationship. And so through the blood of the cross, we enter into covenant relationship with God. Without covenant relationship, without ex- we enter this covenant relationship via the cross. In the Old Testament, it was through the sacrificial system of the blood of the Lamb. But Jesus is the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And in doing so, all other covenants were put aside, and now one eternal covenant fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, and it becomes an eternal covenant for all time, for all time, never having to be replaced. In the opening verses we read, Song of Solomon, I'll read a couple of verses. I won't touch too much on it today, but I just wanted to make a start. He said, the song of songs, which is Solomon's, uh, which is Solomon's. and uh, as I said in my Jewish book, Bible, it's called the ultimate song in verse 1. And the Shulamite, that's a representative really of the church and or you and I, and she says, let him kiss me. In the Hebrew book, it says, let him smother me with the kisses of his mouth. Who would like to be smothered with kisses from your betrothed? (laughs) I don't see that hand. (laughs) For your love is better than wine because of the fragrance of your good ointments. Your name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. Draw me away. Oh, it gets saucy. It's eight chapters of a saucy relationship. That's what it is. It's a beautiful, it's intimacy. But you understand, a lot of us bypass this whole book and we think, what what relevance is there? But the relevance is it it personalises your relationship with the Lord. And intimacy is what he wants. He doesn't want religion. I must do this, I must do that, I must not do this, I must not do that, I must read, I must pray, I must this, I must that. And Jesus said, just come. Come into this holy of holies. This place, beyond the veil, by invitation, the Lord invites his bride into this holy place. Will you want to come? Will you come? The whole message of the New New Testament is, will you come? Will you come? Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The whole message, the whole message of the New Testament is, for whosoever will, come. For whosoever will. We put out hundreds of invitations for the last weekend, but at the end of the day, it's for whosoever will. For whosoever will. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Let him kiss me, smother me, let him name me, let him draw me. They're the two key words in all those three sentences in those first few verses. And I feel our greatest prayer, therefore, can be as simply, if you don't know how to pray this intimate sort of prayer, you can just say, Lord, draw me. The Bible says, in John 6, and it's Jesus speaking, the words are written in red. It says, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So we can't even come to Jesus unless the Spirit of God draws us. So our greatest prayer into this intimate relationship from wherever we are, all of us, we can all be more intimate with the Lord. Our greatest prayer would be, draw me. What about those who have no faith? They've never known this life of God. They've never experienced it. Their simplest prayer could be, Lord, draw me, draw me. Beautiful, isn't it? No man can come to the Father unless the Spirit of God draws. Wherever you are, sometimes I don't have a hunger and thirst for the Word of God, sometimes I have an insatiable appetite for the Word. And month after month after month after month, I can read the Bible in two months and do it again the next two months and do it again the next two months and do it again the next two months. And And after that, somehow it becomes mechanical or something and the Lord takes away that thing and I've got to begin seeking the God of the word, not the word of God. Sometimes we just seek the healing without seeking the healer. Always I need to be recalibrated in my own personal work, walk. And 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 well, let's go to verse five, and we here we see it's the Shulamite woman speaking. And you have to keep a close eye in the Hebrew; it's very specific who's speaking because they have uh, gender. They have gender words in there, or, or a lot of their language is identified as being female or male. So it's a lot easier to do than the English. But she says, "Rightly do they love you? I am dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem." Like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Look upon me because I am dark, because the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons were angry with me, but they made me the keeper of the vineyards. But my own vineyard I have not kept. And you think, well, that's all very cryptic. But I tell you what, when you're in love with Jesus, everything will fall into place. And the Holy Spirit will breathe upon these scriptures and open them up for you. I am dark but lovely, like the tents of Kedar. In other words, she, she sensed herself. She said, do not look upon me because I am dark. And it reminds me when Jesus was calling Simon Peter in the fishing boat and he just performed an amazing miracle when all the catch of the fish. And, Peter, and Simon Peter saw it. It says in Luke 5.8, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And so, when you come closer to God, the light of His glory shows the imperfections in our life, and we feel stained and we feel dark. As Peter did, he knew he hadn't had a sanctified life. Amen. We know Peter before, really, before the resurrection, he had many faults, and I can identify you, perhaps you can too, for all have sinned. And he felt stained, he felt dirty, he felt dark. And coming into the, the closer you get to the glory of God, the greater the imperfections. Why are we brought from glory to glory? Because God, we are a a work in progress. And the Lord will only shine light on the things that he knows you can deal with at the time. And then the Lord purifies us as gold is purified seven times. And we take a step closer into the very glory in the presence of God. And then the glory then shines something else on our life. And we begin to work with God. We're a work in progress. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a work in progress, brother. (laughs) You're a work in progress, sister. But sometimes you just want to stay where you are. You've been there for two years. You've been there for three years. You've been there for five years. I know Christians who've been in the same place for 30 years and never moved from the place of salvation. When God has so much more for all of us, so much more. Are you content where you are? Or there is a hunger and a thirst for God that you want to be in that place. But removing the power, the guilt and the shame of sin is the blood of the cross. And see, the, the woman says, I am dark. And she says, I'm like the tents of Kedar, which were almost black. And, but the position of the woman changes from sin consciousness to sun consciousness. What do I mean by that? It says that the Bible says the, the absence of sin in your thought life is proof of the work of the blood and redemption of your life. Are you sin conscious? Well, then you need to allow the blood of Jesus to work effectively in your life so that you're no longer, because in this place you're not sin conscious, you're only conscious of the presence of God. Where do you want to live your life? Always out here, always thinking I'm condemned? Romans 8, 1, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free, set me free, Set me free, said Priscilla in the communion message from the law of sin and death. Are you in Christ Jesus today? Well, then we are no longer, there's no condemnation in your life. Do you make mistakes? Yes, but the blood of Jesus washes and cleanses us and places in a right position that we can be in this place. It's beautiful, isn't it? The story of redemption is how God facilitates us to have a relationship with a holy and righteous God without being destroyed ourselves. For God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Do you believe in arranged marriages? Well, the Bible does. The Bible does. In the Jewish marriage ceremony, the ancient Jewish marriage ceremony, the bridegroom journeys or goes to the house of the bride, I'm going to show you a picture here right now of the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. The bridegroom journeys and goes to the house of the bride, then he enters into an agreement or covenant with the bride. And so uh, intimate relationships are based on covenant agreements. Amen? Intimate relationships outside covenant agreements called marriage are not okay with the Bible. The bridegroom then leaves his betrothed and returns to his father's house. Think about that for a minute. We don't have that in our, in our, in our situation so much. What we do in Australia is we, we propose or, and then we just shack up. Or we shack up and then propose five and ten years later, sometimes never. But that's not biblical. That's not what God has designed for us. Here the bridegroom journeys, he goes to the house of the bride, a proposal is made and a covenant or agreement is arranged. The the bride then, the bridegroom goes away to his own father's house and generally makes an extension on this house. So he prepares a place for his bride to come and live. And so there is a picture immediately of how Jesus came the first time and he selected and the church was birthed in the, in the book of Acts and then the Lord returned and saying that he was going to come back and pick up his bride at a later date. It's true, isn't it? And so we see that Jesus came and uh, selected his bride. That is the church. You are the bride of Christ. Amen? And they are considered from that time on bride and groom and they are joined into covenant of marriage although they don't see each other, until the day of the wedding. I want to say the day of the wedding for the bride is yet to come. It's fulfilled in the book of Revelations. That's the book where the guy gets the girl, amen? That's the book They're where we meet with Jesus in the way that he always intended. In the days of the separation, the groom builds and prepares a house, and uh, while the bride also makes her preparations and waits. Who likes preparations? Oh, it's awesome, isn't it, making preparations? And uh, in the Jewish uh, wedding tradition, we see clearly the first and second coming of Jesus. And so in the Middle Eastern tradition of preparation for marriage, particularly a royal marriage, and ours will be a royal marriage. It'll be the best that eternity can offer. It's described in the book of Esther, the other book where their God's name is not mentioned. Isn't that amazing? The most intimate books are two books where the name of God is not mentioned. A study in that preparation process reveals a similar process to our own period of preparation and as the bride of Christ. And although the bride, that's us, we long to be to be betrothed, and the groom loves to be with the bride, there is an understanding that the waiting and preparation is necessary. We read in the book of Esther that there's a whole year when she had to put on beautiful oils and preparations and everything like that. She would be soft and smooth and all the rest of it. But who likes preparation? And I have found, uh, I'm a carpenter by trade, And uh, I know what it's like just to say to go and paint the inside of your house. And you think, oh, I'll just go and buy 20 litres or 30 litres of paint. I'll buy the biggest, fluffiest roller possible with the biggest, longest handle. And I'm going to take that sucker home. I'm going to open up that can and I'm just going to start rolling. What sort of job do you end up with? It looks lousy, doesn't it? But if you make time to do the preparation, you remove all the old hooks and you plaster all the dents, and where, where the, the kids have run a pram into the wall and where you've carried furniture into the house and it's, the corner's gone into the wall. Who knows that you've got to, make, you've got to fill up that thing. You've got to uh, bog it up and then you've got to sand it all off and smooth it and then you've got to clean it. That's just like us. That's what's happening in our lives. What do you think? Oh, that's not pleasant. That's true. Preparation often is not pleasant. We just want to get out that big roller. And the Lord's not in a rush to do that. Because he does a thorough work. He does an absolute thorough work of our lives. He does, You can come to God just the way you are, but he doesn't leave us the way you are. He doesn't leave me the way I am. Those imperfections, he says, oh, they're coming out. Let me work with you. I'm going to help you. The Holy Spirit is there to be the oil in the machinery. Amen? Who likes to run a machinery without oil? It doesn't sound real good. It doesn't feel real good. It grates and grinds. So the Holy Spirit is there to facilitate and to help you in your day-to-day life you were never designed to do life alone never never ever you feel oh gosh i'm carrying this burden i feel like i'm on my own and this and that if you've ever thought like that the internal dialogue as you're mowing the lawn why have i got to do this and why have i got to do that and this and that it's hard going it's because you're operating and doing life without the holy spirit just ask the holy ghost to get in on the action and uh but in Ephesians, we say, and we know that the book of Ephesians is a book about the church and for the church. Amen? So the book of Ephesians is about the church specifically. Not every book in the Bible is about the church. But Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And as we are being prepared, God is preparing a place for us. And he says, In, in my father's house are many mansions. One of them is going to be mine, one of them is going to be yours, Lydia. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. That's what Jesus said. That's the second coming. And, and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. So there will come a time when Jesus will return to pick up his bride and take us to his father's house. It's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song. And when you read the song of songs eight chapters as a love letter to your personal walk with jesus this book will come alive to you yes it's intimate yes it's even erotic if it was written in day-to-day language of today it would be probably x-rated because it's it's explicit but so is an intimate any intimate relationship is like that and so we look forward to the day when jesus returns for his bride. And we are described, the church is described, you and I as described as being without spot nor wrinkle. And so we are an ongoing work. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a work in progress, mate. Just speak to yourself. You say, oh, the Lord's got a lot of work to do. (laughs) Don't say that to your neighbour. There's a great word in, uh, in in the... In the Gospels, there and it says, "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." And the eastern gate in Jerusalem is all bricked up because they said the Lord's going to return. It says in the book of Revelations, and He's coming by the eastern gate in Jerusalem, and they say, "Blessed is that," say Baruch Haba B'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Lord will touch down on the Mount of Olives, left and right of that great valley, and He's going to return to the earth. There's nothing in the Bible that will not be fulfilled. In fact, probably about 80% of all biblical prophecy has already occurred. Hundreds and hundreds of prophecies already fulfilled. 456 in the person of Jesus Christ coming in the way that he did, already fulfilled. Nothing to be fulfilled in that. And so, and then in Revelation 21.9, it says, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. We are the lamb's wife. Amen. It's a beautiful story, and I, I pray that you'll read this book, Song of Solomon's, in your own time over the next few days, eight chapters of a magnificent relationship of the betrothed and the bridegroom. The betrothed of the Lord, I wrote this, and it was on the 8th of August, 2020. I was sitting in my study, and the word of the Lord spoke to me so clearly. In a moment in time, it was about eight o'clock in the morning, I spent two, three hours in my study every day just about. It's a beautiful time. And uh, I felt the Lord say to this, he said, do you believe in arranged marriages? Well, God the Father does. This is God speaking to me so clearly. As clearly and as quickly as I could write, I wrote these. These are not my own words. It said, at the appointed time, the Father said, I have found a bride for you, my son, She will not be found in this heavenly realm, but after the days of her preparation, she will be without spot or blemish. She will be found on the earth, but will not be of the earth, for I will separate her from the dust from which she came. I will give her a new spirit, and she will be a new creation. I have betrothed her to you, my son, and she will sit next to you in the time to come in this heavenly realm. She will reign with you, and she will be a glorious bride." What a beautiful download from God, amen? These are not my words. They're not my words. But I couldn't write that eloquently. I couldn't do that. But it does show that the days of preparation are with us now. Make, make Take advantage of this time. Know that sometimes we walk in discomfort. Sometimes people have to sit in a church because the Lord says, I'd like you to go to that church. And they say, I don't even like that church. But God is doing a work in us, amen? I've attended churches because I know the Lord has told me to go to that place. I didn't like it particularly. I didn't like the preaching, I didn't like the way they did things, and this and that, but I knew the Lord was working in me. Amen. And sometimes there are times of discomfort in us because the, wor- the Lord is working in each and every one of us. I'd love if you would stand to your feet. Love if you would stand to your feet. Wasn't a, isn't that a, just a beautiful introduction to the Song of Solomon? That's just an introduction. I'd like to talk about the Song of Solomon next week. And I endeavoured to do it on Wednesday, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. The Lord didn't open up the Scriptures the way that I anticipated, but I always have an ear to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. So I encourage you to listen to that message from the last midweek meeting on Wednesday because it was an introduction to what I just ministered then. So, But Father, in the name of Jesus, just put out your hands to receive. As a, as a gift, just as a gift, you can receive today. You don't, have to, you don't have to shun it. You can receive it. The Lord's got something for us. And the Lord, I believe, wants us into that holy of holies place. He wants us to go beyond the outer court into the inner court and by invitation cross the veil over the threshold into the king's chamber. And there the Lord wants to have an intimate relationship with each and every one of us. He doesn't kiss us all at the same time. The Lord wants to be intimate with you. He knows you. He knows the steps that you take, the breaths that you take. He knows the days that you have here on the earth. And he wants to, he longs for you. He pleads with you for this intimate relationship. He didn't die on a cross for religion. He didn't die on a cross for a theology. He didn't die on a cross for a philosophy of life. He died that you would have a relationship with him and that he is preparing a place, a mansion for you as we speak, as he is preparing us to live with him for all eternity. Pray, I pray, Father, right now that you seal this word, Lord God, today in people's lives. I pray none of us would leave this place not having walked and will walk closer to you as a result of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life, Lord, uh, right now, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. There are people here who have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. I was 29 years old when I made that decision. And so I invite you today to make that decision. And it is a decision to repent, to believe, and to receive. We repent of our sin and we turn away from a lifestyle that we know is opposed against God. And we ask the Lord to forgive us, cleanse us, that we would receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, believe in Him and receive Him, And be born again, as Jesus said to the woman at the well. I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And I ask that you repeat this prayer. And it was a prayer that I prayed over 30 years ago. And it transformed my life. Father in heaven, heaven, I come to you now. I I repent of my sin. I am deeply sorry. And I turn around and walk the other way. I believe, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on a cross for me. Cleanse me, Lord, with your blood. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. Holy Savior. Spirit, come and live in my life.
1: Spirit, my life.
0: Order my steps.
1: Order my steps. I, thank you I thank you that I'm
0: born again of the Spirit of the living God. I